0: Greetings all of God's people, this is Mordecai Joseph, we are today in lesson 64, and last time we came to uh, Micah chapter 4 in verse 8, and the last two scriptures, let's just recap a little bit here, we were reading about the kingdom that was coming to Zion, to the daughter of Zion, and to Jerusalem, the daughter of Jerusalem, uh, which are basically the, the symbol of the nation, and in verse 6, uh, the prophet tells us what the word of God said. In other words, what Jesus Christ told him, what the Lord of Israel told him in that day, says the Eternal: "I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast, and those whom I have afflicted, I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcast a strong nation. So the Eternal will reign over them in Mount Zion, just like." We were told by Isaiah that unto us a son is born, unto us a son is given. And he is going to be the one who is going to have a kingdom on his shoulders, is going to rule over the house of Jacob. And then when uh, Gabriel gave the message to Mary about the birth of her son, whose name is going to be Jesus, that is the Savior, Yeshua, he told her that he is going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. And the Bible is very consistent about this message, that the people that God is going to rule over is his church, the one that he brought out of Egypt, his people, his wife. And it is for that wife that Christ came and gave his life and died so that he could make her without spots and without blemishes. And this time under the, the covenant, the new covenant, that is, conditions. And so he said, after the, he had uh, in essence sent them into captivity and afflicted them and they were the outcasts because of that, he's going to bring them back, the remnant of them. And he's going to rule over them. And that's the reason why he sent them into captivity. That's the reason for the trouble of Jacob. That's the last time God is going to deal with his people and totally purge and cleanse and purify them from all their rebels and their meats and all their uh, false religions. And immorality and corruption and hatred against him and against his law, against the Torah. And when he brings them back, they're going to be people of a different attitude who would acknowledge their sin. And so then he's going to rule over them forever. And he's going to appoint, as he said to the disciples, when they said, And what shall we have? He forsaken everything. That's what Peter told him. And he told him, Well, in the kingdom. That is a kingdom that is going to reign over the house of Jacob and of Israel on this earth in Jerusalem. As it brings all the remnant of Israel, that's what he was talking about. He said, in the kingdom, you are going to sit on twelve thrones, twelve disciples, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so the message was very plain, very consistent, very clear. There was never any reason for anybody to misunderstand who and what is the true church of God. Certainly, not to believe all the other lies that were invented by the counterfeit church of people going to heaven and Peter at the prelude gates and all these uh, fairy tales. And so he said, He's going to rule over them forever in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. Verse 8 And you, O Tower of the Flood, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. That is the kingdom. Even the former dominion. You see, the former dominion shall come. What is the former dominion? The dominion that used to be there. That's what the former dominion is all about. And that's what the apostles, the last question there was on their mind to Jesus Christ before he ascended up to heaven. You can read it in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and 6. Lord, will you at this time restore? That's the former dominion. Will you restore at this time the kingdom to Israel? Because that's his people. That's his wife. That's his church. The apostles never understood it otherwise. Paul never understood it otherwise. And the unlearned believed otherwise. Because they were unlearned. and They developed a new doctrine that God rejected his people, Israel, the people that he brought out of Egypt that he married. And then, because he died, he said, that's it, no more. I don't want to see you anymore. I'm going to get me another wife. And that was one of the major, major lies that Satan the devil had. It's it upon uh, unsuspecting humanity. Over two billion of them believe in this lie. And unfortunately, many of us who came out of those churches brought it with us. And still so believe in it to this very day. And some of you are going to to totally reject what uh, you have read until you humble yourself before your mighty God and believe His word instead of the lies that you have been taught. And you, O Tower of the Flood, the stronghold of the Dory of Zion, to you shall it come Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. And this are not the words of men. These are not my words, so don't take it personally. Verse 9. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? God is telling them. In other words, you have rejected me. Now where is your king? Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. That's because of the trouble it's going to bring upon them be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city, you shall dwell in the field, and to Babylon you shall go. And there you shall be delivered. There the Eternal will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. So now he's telling his, his wife, his people. You know, you're going to be in real trouble. You're going to feel like a woman who's going to give birth. And you're going to go into captivity. You're going to be full of fear a new daughter of Zion, are going to go to Babylon, physical Babylon, but also they became a part of spiritual Babylon, uh, got used to the place. And that's what God is telling us to this very day, come out of Babylon, because we never came out of it. Just like the children of Israel, who went to Egypt, never came out of it spiritually. And so, God tells them, even though he's going to send them into captivity, into Babylon, he's going to redeem them, from the hand of their enemies. In other words, The message is always there. Yes, I'm going to punish you, but I'm going to bring you back. So always remember that and be comforted by that. Verse 11, Now also many nations have gathered against you, who say, Let her be defiled, and let our eye upon Zion. In other words, let's see her destruction. But they do not know the thoughts of the Eternal, nor do they understand his counsel. For he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. And now God is ready to punish the nations who punish his own people. And verse 13, Arise and thresh the daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat in pieces many peoples. And as you go to Isaiah 11, you see a part of that, many other places, where Joseph, the house of Joseph, and the house of Judah, and all of Israel are going to be fighting. And they're going to get back their land. And they're going to uh, go to the east and west and everywhere else, you know, and, and uh, destroy the enemies of, uh, of God. Their enemies. And that's what God is talking about here. And so, He says, You shall beat many people, uh, you shall beat in pieces many peoples. And I will consecrate their gain to the eternal, and their substance to the eternal of the whole earth. And God makes it very plain. That After the destruction, he's going to bring redemption to his people, and he's going to use his people to win the battle and conquer and destroy all those who were destroying them, who, are, who have taken them into captivity. In chapter 5 of Micah, in verse 1, now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops, he has laid siege against us, they will strike the judge of Israel with the rod on the cheek. And that's speaking about the Judge of Israel, the God of Israel, the Savior of Israel, that became in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what they've done to him. Uh, On the night that he was taken and betrayed, they smote him on the cheek. And verse 2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, with a little town at that time, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. And that was the destiny of Jesus Christ, to be a ruler in Israel, not to be a ruler uh, over another nation. Israel was his wife and his people, and when he brings Israel to himself and marries her, after purifying her from all her sins, that's why he had died for her, to atone for her sins, then he's going through her to bring all nations of the earth also, and they're going to be the children. But his people, his chosen family and his chosen wife, is Israel has been, is, will be. There was never any change. And so he said, uh, Yet out of you shall come forth to me. This is the Father speaking here. The one to be ruler in Israel who is going forth are from old, from everlasting. In other words, it has no beginning, no end. As he said in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Some people think that Jesus Christ was created. God makes it very plain. He did not. He is eternal. He has no mother. He has no father, it says about Melchizedek. And he uh, has no beginning, no end, because that's the same person. Verse 3, Therefore he shall give them up, that is, his people, until the time that she who is in labor has given birth, and that, and then the remnant of his brethren, the brethren of Jesus Christ, his people Judah, his own, and the rest of Israel, shall return to the children of Israel. And so God is going to afflict his people, and yet, throughout that affliction, just like in Egypt, a nation was born. And this is the birth of the church. And it is coming, this is when the nation of Israel is going to be reborn, so to speak. They're going to be born. And that's the birthday of the church of both those who are spiritual, who will become spirit beings. And those who are going to be brought back to the land and reborn as a nation. And as for the rest of the dead, well, it says, uh, have not lived until a thousand years later. And at that time, God is going to resurrect all the children of Israel who were ever born. And all, obviously, also, is going to resurrect all of those who ever died. And the children of Israel will continue to be a part of the wife. They will join the wife as physical beings first and receive the Holy Spirit after the Atonement is applied to them and gradually they too will become spirit beings. And the Bride of God is an eternal Bride. And it's basically Israel and the few that God grafted along along, with them uh, since the days of Abraham and all the righteous men that lived before that. Verse 4, well in verse 3 we're reading about Uh, The children of Israel are coming back, and they're going to, to, uh, that is the remnant of his brethren, which are the brethren of of God, uh, shall return to the children of Israel, because they're going to be some of the children of Israel that is coming in the land of Israel, Uh, mainly the people of Judah, and uh, they include some of Benjamin, some of uh, Levi. And not all of them are going to go into captivity, so when God brings back all the remnant of Israel, they're coming back to their brethren. Uh, to the children of Israel that are in the land already. Verse 4, And he shall stand and feed his flock, speaking by the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, feeding his flock, which is the lost sheep of the house of Israel that he finally brought back in the stand of the eternal. So he, the Savior, the Lord, the God, the ruler in Israel, the Messiah, he is going to feed his flock in the strength of the Eternal, and the Eternal is His Father, and the majesty of the name of the Lord, His God. So, we are told very plainly that the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Deliverer, Jesus Christ, the God of Israel, who is going to remarry Israel, the one who remarried here in Sinai, is going to reign over His people in the strength of His God, in the name and the majesty of His God, who is His Father. This knowledge has been lost to the people of Judah since shortly after the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. At that time, still, that knowledge was there. At least, the leaders, the spiritual leaders, and many others, and the priests have known that. It's only later on, when rabbinic time began, more and more darkness fell upon the people of Judah as God prophesied through the prophet Isaiah. He's going to blind them. So by the time he came on the scene, they were so blind, at least in this area, they were not in many others, that they could not perceive and understand, at least many of them, speaking by the leaders in specific, they could not see Jesus Christ as their God, as the Lord that, that is coming to feed them in the name of His God, who is the Father. And they called Him, uh, you know, blasphemy because he was saying that He was the Son of God. Well, all along the Bible told them that. There was nothing new about it. And so many did perceive that. Many of the children of Israel and they followed him and yet the leaders did not. And that's the way it happened. The babes understood but the wise and the prudent were blind. And that's what God did to them. That's what we read in Isaiah 29. That God is going to make the wisdom of their wise, you know, the prudent, the high, the mighty, the spiritual leaders perish. That's why they couldn't see him. There was a veil over their head. that God himself put there because of the rebellion, and God makes it very plain, and so we continue, uh, when the Assyrian comes, well actually verse 4, let's continue that, Uh, he's going to reign in the strength of the Eternal, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, uh, that is his Father, and they shall abide, speaking by his people, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And this one shall be peace. And so Christ, the Messiah, the God of Israel, the husband of Israel, is going to bring peace all, over all the earth. He's going to reign over all the earth. And when the Assyrian comes into our land and when he tra- treads in our palaces, then he will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. And so the people of Assyria that came anciently and took the house of Israel into captivity because of the rebellion, are still around. This is no history, Know that the Assyrians migrated into modern-day Germany, at least in the majority of them. Some are still there, back there in the old country. They're found in northern Syria, they're found in Iran, they're found in Afghanistan, other places where they, they were scattered in all directions. But the majority of them went into the land that is called today Germany. And God has used them 50 years ago to afflict his people, specific Judah, but also Israel, and he's going to use them again so at his coming, when he descends on the Mount of Olives, they are going to be right there. And he's going to wipe them out and leave a small remnant of them and give them a commission. Not from destroyers and evildoers and liars and thieves and robbers of my people and destroyers of my people and members of the great whore, of the harlots, and the false counterfeit church. They're going to go and preach righteousness. They're going to declare my glory throughout all the nations of the earth. And I'm going to send you and you're going to bring my people back here. And like good Germans, they're going to say, yes, sir. That's something they do understand. They understand authority and power. And when God sends them, they're not going to argue anymore. And verse 6, they will waste the sword uh, by the, with the sword, the land of Assyria. That is, God is going to raise men, you know, seven shepherds, he said, and eight princely men. We don't know exactly what it means now. We're going to find out in the future. And they're going to destroy the land of Assyria. And the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Thus he shall deliver us from the Assyrian. That is God. When he comes into our land. And when he treads within our borders. Then, after that, the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples. Well, it's not really after that. Because now God is going back. Uh, in time to a period that we are alive in and the last uh, century in specific and then he says and the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people, like the dew many people like the dew from the eternal, like showers on the grass, that tarry for no men, no weight for the sons of men. In other words, God never rejected his people and this is basically speaking about what Jacob told his sons, Come and I shall tell you what will happen to you at the end time, the latter days And all the blessings that God was going to pour upon them. And in spite of the fact that he sent them into captivity, he was going to perform his promises to to them because God never lies. Even though people think that he's a liar because they say, well, he made all those promises and doesn't keep his promise. And verse 8, And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, the Gentiles that is in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flock of the sheep, who, if he passes through, both trades down and tears in pieces, and none can deliver. And this is the state of the rest of Israel in this, uh, last times, where we find the descendants of Israel, and those who do not know the, who are the people of Israel obviously don't understand that, because the people of Israel that were taken to captivity finally migrated to Northwest Europe and then to the British Isles and from there to the New World. In other words, the mightiest nations that you find on the face of the earth today in terms of uh, the United States and Britain and then France and, you know, Northwestern Europe and all of them put together, as, you know, as allies. Um, uh, we're not talking about Germany or Austria, which are not. Uh, children of Jacob, the Austria is, uh, ch- you know, made of descendants of uh, Ashurim, the, the grandson of uh, Abraham from Keturah. But nevertheless, they are not children of Israel. And so these are the mightiest, mightiest nations on the face of the earth today. And when they go to war, nobody can uh, stop them and uh, win the battle. That is when their war is just and God is with them. And so far it has been with an overwhelming majority of all the wars that they have uh, waged against the enemies, or the enemies waged against them. And that's what God is speaking about. And verse 9, your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries and all your enemies shall be cut off. And yet, God says, at the same time, because of their iniquity and punishment, now he is injecting the punishment of Jacob. See, when you read the Bible, unless you have a, a quite an extensive background and uh, context, you don't understand the scriptures. And uh, you don't understand what God is talking about. So you have to have a, an overview of the entirety of the, uh, the Bible, of the word of God, of the history of his people, to understand every statement that you are reading. So in verse 10 we read, And it shall be in that day, says the Eternal, that I will cut off your horses, in other words, when God is going to punish him in the coming uh, years, from your meat, that is punish Israel, and destroy your chariots. though they were the mightiest nations on the face of the earth, God is going to bring them totally way down. Because of the iniquities and the corruption and the rebellion in their land against God and his laws. And I will cut off, verse 11, the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds Strongholds, and I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no soothsayers. Nowadays, you look at the nations of Israel, be it here or in the Middle East, where Israel is the mightiest you know, nation there in the Middle East, just like the United States here. Uh, so, both houses of Israel and Judah are top of the world, so to speak, in many ways. Yet, God is going to bring destruction on them because of all this iniquities, and some of them are. Are uh, a lot of sorcerers, a lot of soothsayers and astrologers and poem readers and all that. And God forbade them to have any of that in the past because that's dabbling with demons. Verse 13, and your carved images I will also cut off, and your sacred pillars from your mead. Well, that's in the past what they had, where they worshiped those. Nowadays they have obelisks and other things that people worship. And they shall no more worship the work of your hands. And that's what they do today. They worship technology and they say we have no need for God anymore. God is dead. Verse 14, I will pluck your wooden images from your midst and thus I will destroy your cities. And I will execute vengeance and anger and fury on the nations that have not heard. So not only on Israel is going to bring the punishment but then after that on the rest of humanity. Because all of them are, are in a state of rebellion against God. And then we'll continue now with chapter seven, and verse eight, where we read, "Do not rejoice over me, my enemy." Now that God brought in uh, destruction on His people, and He's describing the beginning of the chapter, all the evils and the corruption and the immorality and the hatred and the and the conflict that they had within their families, within the nation, within the people, murder and bloodshed, and you hear about it all the time on the newspapers. That's all news are all about. Therefore. And for that, God is going to bring a horrible punishment, the greatest one on Israel. And yet, God is saying to Israel and comforting her that he's going to deliver her. And so now Israel is speaking from that state of captivity, of destruction, of affliction. She says, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the eternal will be a light to me because Israel still knows and they're going to know even even better that God said all that. He's going to punish them, but He's go, going also to deliver them. And so Israel can say these things, being comforted by these words. Now verse 9, I will bear the indignation of the eternal. In other words, I'm, gonna, I'm going to accept it now. I'm not going to be rebellious. In other words, this is speaking about a, st- a time when the state of mind of Israel is going to be totally different. When God has punished them. And now they're obedient. And now they acknowledge their sin and iniquity. They're not blaming God anymore. They're not blaming the enemies anymore. They're not blaming any conspiracies anymore. They're not blaming, you know, black helicopters and this and that. And that person, the other person, the United Nations or the President. Or the, the, you know, the Royal Prince in England. They're going to blame themselves. So let's say, I will bear the indignation of the Eternal. Because I have sinned against Him. Finally, Israel comes to repentance and acknowledges her guilt. And until he pleads my case and executes justice for me, he will bring me forth to the light, and I will see his righteousness. Then she who is my enemy, that's the counterfeit church, Babylon, the enemies that rose against the people of God to destroy them. And that's what Israel is saying. Then she who is my enemy... And the, and the false church that comes to be the true one will see. And shame will cover her who say to me, Where is the eternal, your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like mud in the streets. And that's, that's a description that you read in, uh, in Revelation, the destruction that God is going to bring on Babylon. And with this Babylon, also Assyria is linked, are in Europe and Germany. They are going to be uh, linked to the counterfeit church and lend their forces among all the other nations to that church, to the Babylon system to bring destruction on the people of God and then God is going to turn around and bring utter destruction on them. Verse 11, In the day when your walls are to be built, in that day the decree shall shall go far and wide, in that day they shall come to you From Assyria and the fortified cities, from the fortress to the river, that is the river of Euphrates, from sea to sea. In other words, now it's speaking about the children of Israel who are going to come back to their land. Uh, Yet the land shall be desolate because of those who dwell in it, and for the fruit of their deeds. Verse 14, uh, speaking again about the children of Israel coming back to their land, shepherd your people with your staff. Uh, that is, God is going to shepherd his people with his staff, and the flock of your heritage, which are Israel, who dwell in solitary in a woodland in the midst of Carmel, let them feed in Bashan and Gilad as in the days of old. So now Israel is speaking to her God, uh, calling upon him the great shepherd. Uh, in other words, take care of your people. Bring them back to the land that you promised and all those lands that have been taken away from them and have been de- divided and partitioned by others and now other nations live in those areas, like in Gilad, Jordan is there in Bashan, all the way up to the north, Le- Lebanon and uh, even all the way up and those lands that are now occupied by uh, the people of Lebanon, then Syria further up uh, Israel is going to occupy that because that belongs to them and there is no such a thing as occupied territories on the part of Israel That's their land. The ones ones who really occupy the land are the people who do not belong there. Who call themselves Palestinians. And so God is going to bring his people back to the land of Israel because that's his wife and that's his people. And this is where he's going to rule over the house of Jacob forever. And this is where his disciples are going to rule over the tribes of Israel because that's what the church is all about. And some of them will be spirit beings, as we mentioned many times. And the rest, physical beings, who would receive the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Church of God is and always was. Partly spiritual and the majority were physical until God is finished with the job. And so we continue in verse 16. The nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. I'm not going to speak against the people of God anymore. And they shall lick the dust like a serpent. In other words, when they come to Jerusalem, they're going to you know, bow down and kiss the dust of Jerusalem. As we read in other places. And they shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. And also wherever they are, they're going to be so you know, terrified by God, the God of Israel, who is rising to smite them. That this is what they're going to do. Like snakes, they're going to lick the dust. And also when they come to Jerusalem to worship this, uh, the, the God of Israel. And to seek His law, and they shall be afraid of the Eternal, our God. See, they, the nations, the Gentiles, are going to be afraid. This is uh, Micah is speaking here. All the children of Israel are going. To, he's going to be. They are going to be afraid. The nations, the Gentiles, of our God. You know, the God of Israel, and shall fear because of you. That is because of you, God, the Shepherd of Israel, the God of Israel, is coming to deliver His people. Who is a God? like you, pardoning pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. So the message was always there, God is going to atone for his people, forgive his people and the manner in which he did it ultimately and that was the plan of the Father to give the life of his son for his wife and not only for his wife but for the rest of humanity who are going to be the children and so, to say that the people of God were being rejected, is utter nonsense. He does not remain uh, retain his anger forever, because he delights in mercy. And he will again have compassion on us, and will subdue our iniquities. And the people of Israel have always known that, who read these scriptures. In particular, the people of Judah. The other tribes of Israel, they lost their, uh, the knowledge of their own heritage. So they did not understand the scriptures properly. But the disciples did when Christ came on the scene, and they knew that God was never going to fors- forsake his people, and therefore they were not about, under Jesus Christ, or neither Jesus Christ was about to begin a new church. And so when he says, I will build my church, this is how he was going to build his church. His wife, his people Israel, he's going to atone for their sins and pardon their iniquity, and remove it, and then pass over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, and subdue all their iniquities, and take them back to himself, without spot and without blemish. And so again it says in verse 19, he will again have compassion on us, and will subdue our iniquities, and he will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. See, totally blotting out all sins from Israel. In other places it says, the time will come where well, the sins of Judah and Israel will be sought and will not be found. Because God is going to have mercy on them. Verse 20, And you will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. So God swore by his name that he's going to to, to uh, be the God of his people forever. And make a covenant with them forever and bring them back after punishing them and they will be always with him forever. And for people to say that he rejected his people, these are people who are saying to God, you are a liar. And if you find yourself in that position, you should think about it soberly. Where did you get this notion? You didn't get it from the Bible, but from your, uh, misunderstanding of it. Being unlearned. Thinking that you are learned. And so let's continue another story uh, in uh, in the book of Nahum, chapter 1 and verse 15. And verse 15, we read, uh, after God brings back his, his people Israel uh, to their land, uh, he, uh, we read in verse 15, Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings. That's what the gospel is all about. The gospel was to Israel and then through them to the rest of the nations. Because salvation is of Israel. Salvation is of the Jews. Christ said salvation is of the Jews because they're the only people that were around at the time. But if all of Israel were there, he would have said of Israel. But this is what he meant. Salvation is of Israel to all mankind. In other words, the way God chose to do it, uh, Jesus Christ is going to be the husband, Israel is going to be the wife, and through the wife the children will come. And it's through the wife that God was going to teach the rest of humanity. And that's why he came and established a group of uh, of teachers, disciples that became teachers. And they were all Jews, they were all Israelites, and he sent them into all the world. So whoever is reading these words uh, that are before us here in, in, in the Bible from beginning until the end is reading the words that were written by the children of Israel, inspired by God. And that's what it means. And they have to, in order to come to God, they have to become a part of the commonwealth of Israel. Paul made it very plain to the Ephesians and Romans and many other places. People without a background have no knowledge or understanding of that. They are totally confused. As I said, Behold on the mountains is the feet of him who brings good tidings. And in the book of uh, Romans chapter 10 verse 15, Paul referred to this statement. Who proclaims peace? O Judah, keep your appointed feast." That's a part of the good tidings. Judah, you're going to be keeping the feast. And you're no longer going to be in captivity and away from your land. And it says, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. The land of Judah, that is. He is utterly cut off. And that is going to be the fate of all those who claim that the land belongs to them. and what to call it Palestine. And all the other nations who are coming against Judah. God makes it very plain. The Gospel is telling the people of Judah and the people of Israel that God is going to redeem them. He's going to remarry them. He's going to make a new covenant with them. And then through them, He's going to call the nations because He's going to make Israel the light of the nations and that was a commission to begin with. And people talk about the Gospel all over the place and don't even know what the Gospel is all about. That's the Gospel of the Kingdom of God that is going to be on this earth when He reigns over the house of Israel the whole house of Jacob, the two kingdoms of Judah and Israel who are going to become one nation again and cause all nations to come and worship Him and hear the word uh, that He speaks to them through His people in Jerusalem. The message is very plain. and Only the babes can understand it but unfortunately the wise and the fruit of this world are so blind they cannot see anything. And we should not be a part of that, of that uh, configuration. And so in in the the prophet Habakkuk, we read one more scripture here concerning this matter. In chapter 2, and verse 14, we read this, As a result, when God brings back his people to the land and he rules over them and there will be no more iniquity in the city and among the people of God, then verse 14 is going to be the result. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of, of the glory of the eternal as the waters cover the sea. And so God is going to bring salvation through Israel to all mankind. And people today can make fun of it and have contempt for it and speak evil of it all, all they want. This is what God is going to bring about. And His word makes it very plain from the beginning until the end and he swore by his throne and he swore by his name, by his glory, that he's going to bring it about. So Whatever people say, it's neither he nor there. In Zephaniah chapter 2 we read about God having mercy on his people Judah at this end time and he's bringing them back as he did the days of Ezra and Nehemiah for a purpose as it was in the first time to prepare the way for his coming. Otherwise, if he came over there and there was nobody there, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And so again today he's coming to his own and before he can come to his own he has to bring them back. And it's not like some people think, well, a bunch of Zionists just on their own Uh, Just came to the land and did their own thing there, establishing the land. No, God is the one that brought them there. Yes, they are not obedient as they should be, and they are going to be punished for that, but God is the one that brought them over there, and many of them have been praying for the salvation of Israel, and many of them are still praying for it and are religious. Uh, They don't necessarily know everything properly, and they need to be corrected too. But at least they do know an awful lot of uh, the knowledge of the kingdom of God, what it is all about, far better than those who call themselves Christians. Because they believe Moses and the prophets, and they know what this kingdom is all about. But they too are also mixed up to a large degree. So, no man is perfect, and all has sinned and come short of the glory. And that's why the punishment of Jacob. Anyway, in the end time, this our day, God says, verse 7, Zephaniah chapter verse 7, the coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. And they shall feed their flocks there in the houses of Ashkelon. They shall lie down at evening, for the Eternal their God will intervene for them and return their captives. And literally we saw captives in this last generation coming out of captivity, in concentration camps, and many other places. And God brought them back into his land, as imperfect as they were, though they still deny Him, and they don't know that He is the God of Israel, so on one hand they worship Him as the God of Israel, on the other hand they deny Him as the one who came in the flesh 2,000 years ago. But blindness, in part, as Apostle Paul has said, is upon Israel, and as God Himself, the one that became Jesus Christ, told uh, Isaiah, you go blind my people until the end of time, Then I'm going to open their eyes and heal them, they're not going to be rebellious anymore. And so this is what we read here, and then we go to chapter 3, and we read this chapter. And uh, we're going to read basically the whole chapter, because everything has to do with the coming uh, salvation of Israel. Uh, Verse Chapter 3 and verse 1, Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted to the oppressed city! She has not obeyed his voice, she has not received correction, she has not trusted in the Eternal... She has not drawn near to her God. So speaking about Israel and her rebellion, Judah, in specific in Jerusalem, at the time of uh, the prophet. And verse 3, Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. And that's basically the judgment of God against his people, Judah and Israel, to this very day. And the governments are no different today. And the prophets and spiritual leaders, most of them are no different today. And so he says in verse 4, "...her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary." You know, this is the, uh, the, uh, how God feels about the, the spiritual leaders of Israel. They are not different today. Because God makes it very plain. That's why he's going to punish all of them. And he says, "...they have, not, they have done violence to the law, to the Torah. And instead of teaching it, they are transgressing it and teaching others to do likewise. And instead of obeying the law of God, they come up with their own law, they call it Halakha, and they call it this and they call that and among the children of Israel, they call it Christianity, Christian ethics and values and principles and all kinds of things like that some of it is biblical, the others is their own and in doing that, they're doing uh, violence to the law, they're making the law of God of none effect and to this very day, both houses of Israel are doing it, in many ways Verse 5, the eternal is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails. But the unjust knows no shame. God was always righteous and spoke words of righteousness to his people. But the unjust knows no shame. And in person when he came in the flesh he did that too. Verse 6, I have cut off nations, their fortresses are devastated. I have made their streets desolate, with none passing by. Their cities are destroyed. There There is no one, no inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. In other words, I brought destruction of the enemies. I delivered you, and I thought, well, you're going to obey me now. And you will receive instruction, so that her dwelling would not be cut off, despite everything for which I punished her. But they rose early and corrupted all their deeds. This is what he says about his own people. No matter how many times I've delivered you, you still commit iniquity and rebel against me. And verse 8, Therefore wait for me, says the Eternal, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, speaking about the end time, all my fierce anger, and all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. And it is coming, this is what the wrath of the Lamb is going to be all about, and the wrath of the Messiah, the God of Israel, who is going to punish first Israel and then the rest of the nations. For then I will restore after that, after all that is done, when he brings back his captivity of Israel, verse 9, for then I will restore to the peoples, all of them, that is, a pure language, a pure tongue, that is, a pure spirit, a pure knowledge, a pure religion, a pure way of life. That they all may call on the name of the Eternal. In other words, from now on, all of them are going to call on the name of Jehovah. And all with one name. All are going to know the name of God. name Jehovah. They're going to have all those different names and they're all confused about it. Which is the right one. And they're going to all call upon the name of Jehovah to serve him with one accord. One world religion. The religion of God, the religion of Israel. And none else. It's not going to be Christianity or Judaism. ...the religion that God gave Moses and the prophets... ...and then magnified through the apostles... ...in the New Testament, so-called New Testament. Verse 10, from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia... ...my worshippers... ...and the daughter of my dispersed ones... ...speaking about his people Israel... ...shall bring my offering... ...in that day you shall not be shamed... ...for any of your deeds... ...speaking to his people... ...in which you transgress against me... ...for then I will take away from your midst... ...those who rejoice in your pride... The rebel rouses among you teach against me and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain and I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people and they shall trust in the name of the eternal. The rest of Israel today are rebellious. But they're not going to be rebellious when God is done you know, with them. Verse 13, The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies. In other words, today they are committing unrighteousness and speak lies. No shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth, and today they are. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout of Israel, be glad and rejoice with your, with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Eternal has taken away your judgments; He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel is the Eternal, is in your midst. That's the God of Israel is your Messiah. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Eternal, your God, in your midst, the Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's His bride. That's His laugh. You know, that's uh, the wife. Verse 18, And I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time... I will heal I will deal with all who afflict you I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame at that time I will bring you back even at the time at that time I will gather you for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes says the eternal And this Eternal is the God of Israel, the Savior, Jesus Christ, and that's his wife, and this is his people, and the message is very, very plain. Who and what is the true church of God? And obviously this is not what the world knows nowadays. The counterfeit church taught lies, deception, and many of the people of God have been deceived by it, swallowed those lies, and voted with them, as God called them into his truth, at least a partial uh, truth, They think they know the whole thing. They don't know the whole thing. We don't know the whole thing. We're still learning. That's why we are commanded to grow in grace and knowledge and understanding. And where we see that we are wrong, should be humble enough and meek enough, as God says, that's the kind of people he's going to have, and admit our errors and repent of that and turn away and come out of Babylon. And with that, we're going to conclude. This is the end of uh, this step. This is Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of The preceding message was taken from the worldwide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions. The Bible has answers.